0: This
1: and I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I, I really need to leave so the
0: fences inform me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. And the opinion of this reporter, if this nation or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now
2: Another exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the Freshman Rob Kelly. How you doing, buddy? What does that mean? Well, freshman, you're like just beginning. It's it's new. You're young. You're perhaps (laughs) in your year one.
1: Oh, okay. It's too clever for me. Uh, Yeah, I'm doing quite well. How are the antibiotics kicking in?
2: (laughs) Yeah, there's my excuse for the lame intros. I'm running at a diminished capacity, more so than normal. Uh, Hopefully beat you to that. But uh, yes, uh, I'm on day seven of my recovery from pneumonia. So it's been interesting. I was down for about four days, just literally was basically life functions. Got up to use the bathroom and eat, and that was it for four days. Got a whole lot of comic books read and watched a lot of Netflix. Uh, which Finally,
1: is, you worked your way through those sad sets.
2: I did. I, I read the. Uh, you know what I read? I, I read X Men and Micronauts. So I was catching up on my comics from 1983. <laughs> but hopefully, I'll get to 1985 someday. Um, but, folks, besides me being sick, we are here to discuss something very exciting. We are here to kick off something that we're calling J.L. May. This is a celebration of a wonderful comic book miniseries that came out uh, back in the 90s called JLA Year One. Remember this comic, Rob? Oh, sure. Did you pick it up at the time?
1: I, You know, I actually don't remember. I really Because I know I read it before I synopsized it for The Shrine, but I don't particularly remember buying it off the stand. So I must have read it in some form along the way, maybe in like a trade paperback form or something.
2: Oh, okay. Well, I I remember very distinctly picking it up off the shelves, and it was it was very exciting at the time, and uh, rereading it now. In fact, I've I've been rereading as we get ready for the show. Like I've only I'm only up to issue eight right now, and uh, it's it's just exciting to reread these and remember them. They're s- such a great comic, and it's good in single issue form or as a collected edition. So. And where this is, where we say JLA, or JL May, I should say, is this is an enormous podcast crossover. Welcome to the crossover, folks. Uh, This was suggested by our friends over at the Waiting for Doom podcast and our friend Dr. Ange, who's been on this show several times. We love Ange. We absolutely love Ange. And I'm not just saying that because he pays me a monthly stipend. But we're going to cover JLA year one, issues number one and two, today on the podcast. Then it's actually going to jump from several other podcasts to continue the coverage. For example, our friend... I use the uh, term "friend" loosely. Ryan Daly, over on his Powers of Fishnets podcast, will pick up issue three and so on. And uh, includes okay, so Fire and Water podcast, Power of Fishnets, Waiting for Doom, The Lantern Cast, Supermates, Idlehead of Diablo, Comic Reflections, and Views from the Long Box. By the end of the month, May, you will be able to follow from issue one here all the way to issue twelve in Views from the Long Box. It's an awesome crossover, an awesome idea, and uh, it's. Big celebration, so we're thrilled to be part of it. Absolutely. Now, before we get much further, we should probably take a second to thank our sponsor. Folks, the Fire & Water podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. The obvious choice would be JLA Year One. However, it's not available on InStockTrades right now. So, Rob, what did you pick?
1: I have Batgirl Robin Year One. Yeah. Which is the collection of both the miniseries Batgirl Year One issues one to nine and Robin Year One issues one to four? Uh, writers are Chuck Dixon, Scott Beatty, and the artists are Marcos Martin uh, and Javier Pulido. Uh, it's four hundred twenty-four pages. The normal <laughs> price, yeah, I know. Well, it's two miniseries combined. It's the normal price is twenty-four point ninety-nine. In stock trades price is fourteen dollars and forty-nine cents. Now, I actually haven't read Robin Year One, but I did read Batgirl. It's one of the one of the series the lists like decade or so that I actually bought off the stands when it came out. It's terrific. It's super fun. I really enjoyed it. So even if you just buy it for the Batgirl, it's totally worth the $14.49. So uh, pick it up, Batgirl Robin. You're one.
2: I've read both of them, and they're excellent. In fact, you know who's a big fan of those it is Stella from the Batgirl to Oracle Oh, well, of course, of course. She's talked about it. In fact, by the way, just a plug, I was on her show just last week. So, uh, talking about uh, Underworld Unleashed, lots of fun. But in regard to uh, Robin Year One and Batgirl Year One, she actually did an interview with some of the creators for that series, and uh, it's really good, great comic. I picked Justice League Trade Paperback Volume Four. This is some of the work by Mark Wade, who's the guy who wrote JLA Year One. Thought I'd pick one of his JLA stories. This specifically covers the end of the Morrison run, so that World War Three storyline. Plus, it includes Mark Wade's Tower of Babel, which is a fantastic Justice League story. Now, if you go looking for it on in-stock trades, and you should, because it's a heck of a great price, um, it's a little confusing, because this one is JLA Trade Paperback Volume 4. I'm sorry, Volume 4. Now, when you go looking for Volume 4, there's like five or six of them, because they've reprinted the JLA books so many times and in so many different formats. It's confusing as hell. So the one you want to look for, it's not the Deluxe Edition. It's not the Strength in Numbers Edition. It's just called JLA TP, not toilet paper, (laughs) Trade Paperback, Volume 4, and uh, you'll see it, it's, it doesn't even list Mark Waite as a writer. It just lists Grant Morrison and various. <laughs> but it's 384 pages, full color. Um, normally retails for $24.99. You can get it right now for 42% off, which is $14.49. And it reprints JLA number 32 through 46. Great collection, folks. You really should. If you've, if you've never read Tower of Babel, you don't know what you're missing. It's so good. So head on over to Instock Trades, folks. Uh, again, your best source, uh, online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, and we thank them for their support. Now, with that out of the way, if you want JLA year one, there's actually legitimate ways you can pick that up. You can obviously pick up the back issues in a store, you can get the trade paperback, use versions of that over on Amazon probably, or you can get the whole series on Comixology right now. Uh, They have it out there for $1.99 an issue, so you can get the whole run for $24 in digital format, well worth that price. Wouldn't you say, Rob? Absolutely. Yeah, it's great, great stuff. Now, just a little bit of history here on JLA year one. This was published in um, late 1997 is when it started coming out. really has cover dates of 1998. But the reason this story sort of happened is because there was a lot of questions about the JLA's history after Crisis on Infinite Earths. Now, the first thing that jumps to my mind is when I think about this, well, this is like 11, 12 years later. They really took their time figuring this one out. (laughs) Yes, they did. There was Secret Origins number 32. Which was covered on the Secret Origins podcast. Uh, Ryan Daly had a couple of schmoes on there to help him talk about it. I don't remember who. Do you remember
1: who, Rob? Uh, there was one guy really good, and then the rest were sort of like substandard. Really. Oh, that's
2: right. Kichi Baker did do a good job. <laughs> I forgot about that. Walked into that one. <laughs> so now that was. I don't know what year that was. That was, like, what, 87, 86, something like that? 80, um, 88, I thought it okay. was. Okay. So this is still, like, another 10 years after that. But Secret Origins number 32 reset the JLA continuity, basically saying Wonder Woman was never part of the JLA. Instead, Black Canary was a founding member of the JLA, and Superman and Batman were not actually members of the JLA when it first started. They didn't come around till much later. So you, they, they kind of established that around 1988, then for ten years they didn't focus on it as much, but then they decided once Grant Morrison's JLA was kicking on all thrusters and making a lot of money for him, they could pull out this JLA Year One miniseries and uh, written by Mark Wade, art by Barry Kitson, and uh, it's it's awesome. So why don't we get into it?
1: Absolutely. I can't, I don't keep using. It. I got to find another word. I think I've said that three times already.
2: Well, I say uh, so and uh,
1: by the way, just
2: the folks, and
1: <laughs> as a trivia thing, is this the first comic to use Year One after Batman Year One? Because, like, okay. a- after a while, the year one just totally became a brand.
2: Well, they did all series of annuals one year. Right.
1: But, I mean, was that after – like, how long was that a- – I feel like there was no other year one comics between Batman year one and then this one. I'm probably wrong, but I feel like th- – I feel like, if anything, this was the series that turned it into, like, an actual merchandisable brand. Somebody must have. Because, you, know you, you know, the back of the year one – I mean, if you go to – if you go to um, InSuct Trades and you pl- just put in year one – You'll yeah. find it all, there's Zorro Year One, there's oh, like yeah. the Shadow Year One, so it totally became a thing.
2: By the way, Zorro Year One, by Matt Wagner, so good. Oh, well, I, I, Wagner. I read about 10 issues of that while I was down with pneumonia. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It came out in 2008. That's how far back I am in catching up.
1: All right. Okay. I'm not kidding. <laughs> right. Well, let's get to it. J- JLA Year One, cover dated January 1998, it's by, as you said, Mark Wade, Brian Augustin, who you didn't mention, and Barry Kitson. Okay. Uh, yes, in a quiet dark room a man turns on a television and watches multiple news stories about some new superheroes that have made the scene They may be new to him and the world But we will recognize them. And, of course, it's Flash, Green Lantern, Aquaman, Black Canary, and the Martian Manhunter. We see a couple of pages of this guy watching them. What's going on here? We follow each of the heroes and their civilian identities. Barry Allen is a bored police scientist. Diana Lance runs a flower shop with her former superhero mother. Hal Jordan is the cocky test pilot. John Jones is in disguise as a police detective. And Aquaman is, well, he's just sort of Aquaman. And then we have a, a (laughs) a sequence of him getting a drink in a bar, and he tries to pay for it with doubloons and uh, he runs afoul of these sort of uh, longshoremen, kind of tough guys. One guy smashes, grabs his head and smashes it into the bar. Um, Aquaman then gets some water splashed on, which of course increases his strength, and he's about to read the guy's the riot act. But then the fight breaks up just before it gets really out of hand, and then Aquaman returns to sitting at the bar talking to the, uh, the other guys. So anyway, all five of the Jailies have had their first meeting together as superheroes, and they all have different feelings about it. They band together a few days later Upon the request of an army general The plan being that the JLA will turn over Two remaining alien invaders That brought them all together in the first place But when they enter the secret cave That they've been using to store The, the army's been using to store the creatures They find, and it's a, this giant being uh, They're all, there's the, the giant Like stone guy, and there's all these army guys Looking at them and studying them And all these kinds of crazy stuff Oh, the Apalexians I, the hate, ap- the- Apalexians. I hate them Oh, come on So anyway, with the army standing and watching, the five heroes take on the erstwhile alien kidnappers and the two giant creatures who have now awoken. Not used to acting as a team, they learn in battle just what each other's strengths and weaknesses are. Um, Aquaman tries to run away from one of the, like the the crystalline guy, and then the, the Flash helps him defeat him. Green Lantern uses his powers to help take him over. So they really do act like as a team. Uh, one of the creatures gets away with the aliens who teleport out of the cave. The other, who is frozen in place by Green Lantern, is spirited off in an army helicopter, leaving the jlaers to wonder, although, of course, they're not jlaers yet, to wonder just what's going on and if it might be a good idea to band together in a more permanent manner. So we see them all deciding to become a team, and then we see that they are being watched by this mysterious group. Uh, they're all in, like, some sort of uh, dark, uh, sort of subterranean kind of outfit, and they've all got uh, these... Uh, These sort of uniforms on, and it says uh, says, we have an advantage. They don't know us, but we have put our field agents into play. We are about to know them intimately. And that is the end of the issue. And, of course, it's to be continued.
2: Now, something you failed to mention, sir. Mm -hmm. You said yes as a cover date of January 1998. However, it hit the shelves on November twelfth, nineteen 1997. I didn't fail to mention I didn't care. Aw, well, thank you, Mike. <laughs> Amazing World of Comics, for that information. So, uh, I'll, I'll take the lead here. I love this cover. Absolutely love, 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 love this cover. It's a wraparound cover, and uh, I'm trying to get to the page here. I'm, I'm, I'm reading this thing digitally. My machine's not operating. Okay, it's a wraparound cover, and it looks like a newspaper. Right, And it's got you know, this headline, Daily Planet, World's Greatest Heroes. Everything's in black and white. And then on the front side, you do have a shot of the Justice Leaguers. And they're all in color. Them and the uh, Appalexians are actually in color. Everything else is black and white, which is really cool. In fact, one of my favorite things is there's, there's a coffee stain on the back side of the cover. Uh, like someone to put their coffee down in the newspaper. I love that so much. In fact, I used to use this image as my computer desktop wallpaper. I loved it so much. And it's so busy that, unfortunately, it was impossible to find any icons. Right, yeah. <laughs> you got to go simple when you're using it. So I, I finally had to ditch it after a while, but it just I love it so much. It's also interesting how how nicely this fits right in with the Secret Origin story. You know, it's other than the, the end of the Secret Origin story where they say that they, they declare themselves a Justice League. I mean, that's really the only piece that doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. Everything else fits seamlessly. And it's like that comic came out ten years before this. So it, it's interesting how much, how faithful they were to that. Now, I do seem to recall, I don't do you remember the Secret Origins trade paperback that was pretty prevalent in the, I guess it was the late 80s or early 90s? Yeah, the one with the
1: Brian Bowen cover?
2: Yeah. Yeah, yep. And maybe that's why, maybe because that's one of the few early trade paperbacks DC kept in heavy circulation. You know, I mean, I have a copy on my shelf still, and uh, I bought that when it came out a zillion years ago. So maybe that's part of the reason they, were, they felt they could do it so seamlessly is because, you know, everyone had a copy of this somewhere laying around their house. So I, I have lots of notes. I mean, what, what, what do you want to say about the issue?
1: Not, not necessarily this issue. I mean, the whole series in general is like – and as I mentioned this on Ryan's show when we talked about Secret Runs 32, I'm not a fan of the retconning of the JLA, of, of taking out the big three. I just don't like that idea. So, like, to me, this series is kind of going in a little hobbled because I'm just not buying the premise that said, this is the absolute best possible version of this story that you can tell. Wade clearly knows this stuff backwards and forwards, uh, not, to, not to discredit Brian Augustine. But, I mean, you know, Wade really eats and breeds this DC minutiae. And so I like the idea that it's these five. Uh, you get a lot more characterization, of course, than you would normally get. And Aquaman gets a lot to do. Uh, I mean, you know, just on a pure basic level, if you have a JLA story with Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, Aquaman is not going to get a lot to do unless you purposely give him, you know, somebody goes out of his way. But for the most part, he's always going to be and the rest. And here, in this first issue, he gets a big, that whole big sequence in the bar, and then as we'll see in later issues, he gets, you know, all the characters get their moments, many moments. And so, overall... It, like I said, I think this is the best possible version of this of this story that I wish D C had never told. Because <laughs> I, I want Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman in the Justice League. I understand why they did it, but it still it's just like no, this is not the JLA, these five. This is it's it's seven.
2: I uh it's interesting. I feel sort of similar, uh, in that I do feel like the Justice League does imply Superman, Batman and Wonder Woman yep. also. Yep. But as you said this was done so well, I, I I sort of treat them in equal regard, almost like parallel Earths. You know, like to me, there's the Justice League of the Bronze Age, you know, Satellite Era Justice League, and then there's this Post Crisis Justice League. Mm -hmm. And to me, they're both equally valid. To some people, one version might be more valid than the other, but to me, they're both equally valid. And I'm I'm that much of a fan of this Post Crisis era of Justice League. One of the things I enjoyed about the whole series is there's a real sense of fun. I mean, they really did a great job characterizing these these heroes. They feel young. They feel like freshmen. I mean, they really do. They feel like they're really figuring their, figuring out how to do this. Yes, they feel like young versions of heroes that we're familiar with, which is, of course, what they are. Right, and that could have been done well. I mean, it could have been done really ham-fistedly or done really crappy. I feel like they really did a nice way here. Yeah. I like the villain Locus. Uh, that, you, you didn't mention the name of the super-secret organization. They're called Locus. Oh, yeah, and no, I'm um, sorry. Yeah, I didn't. You left out a lot of stuff. But anyway, <laughs> I guess I'll forgive you. Um... I think it's a great idea to introduce Locus because in, they're carried throughout all 12 issues and it's, sort of, it's nice the way they slot in between the early issues of JLA. In fact, as the series goes on, they'll make references to famous classic stories and then they'll tell a new one that clearly fits in between issues. And because Mark Wade knows this stuff in his sleep, it fits perfectly. In fact, one of the things I was wondering about, and this is because this my brain thinks too much about this stuff, in, in the meeting at the end, Locus talks about how they've been doing 10 years of genetic research. So then I start thinking... There, could there have been some story that took place 10 years before the JLA was formed, maybe with like I don't know, some retired J.SAers or pull some cool, non superpowered adventures. adventures, there like I don't know an old Sarge steel story that could have been told 10 years <laughs> before this? I mean because that's the kind of stuff I'd imagine Mark Wade would think about, since yes. he specifically called a time period of saying, "We've been working on this for 10 years. I wouldn't be surprised if he had some idea in his head where I don't know, Peter Kane and Thunderbolt and you know fought them or something. And the art is wonderful. I, I really like Barry Kitson. I think he was a great choice for the series because he, he has this wonderful style that sort of straddles the fence of classic superhero, but yet 90s, sty- 90s stylization between like the line work and the action and stuff like that. It, it's a nice melding of those two worlds. I thought he did a nice job there.
1: Yeah. Uh, one of the things I do like, it's a little, not I don't think it's as pronounced in the first issue, but it goes along, is the, each of the heroes have somewhat distinct body types. Mm. Uh, which is not something a lot of comic book artists do. They tend to have everybody has one body, you know. But barry Aqu- has
2: got a distinct body, too. Well,
1: clearly. Uh, but Aquaman, like Flash and Aquaman Greenlander don't, aren't all exactly built the same. I don't think you see again. I don't think you see it as much here in this first issue, but it was something I noticed as it wore on. It was just, just slight, just some subtle physical differences. Flash is a little skinnier, and it's something like that, which I appreciate, again, because for a lot of comic book artists, they draw the same man, woman, and then they just change, you know, put
2: beards on them or whatever. <laughs> no, you make a good point. In fact, uh, the, Aquaman looks a little broader to me, mm-hmm. and and they he got to demonstrate his strength in this. Mm-hmm. He's ripping a boulder out, and Hal's like, "Is that you know that looks really heavy?" And and uh, Aquaman's just like, "I got it." Yep. You know. yep. Great little moment. I love the teamwork at the end. I mean, that was great. And you know, Aquaman's plan to take down the fire alien was with the water, and Hal helps him, and it just really, really demonstrated that. Now,
1: did you mention Aquaman's mumbling? I did not. Yeah, they, that's a whole thing that Wade. Uh, added Wade's added, well, of course, the Kingdom Come. He's added something to the character that will go on forever uh, in the history of the character. But yeah, he had something here that Aquaman mumbles because, of course, he's not used to he's used to the sound traveling differently underwater. Uh, it doesn't, and so when he talks on the surface line, he kind of kind of talks like this on that okay. <laughs> and and people are like, what, what, what? So I, that's kind of a fun gag uh, that, that that goes throughout the whole almost the whole series. I think.
2: Yeah, I thought that was really cute. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, a couple of just little, like, some nitpicky things just worth talking about. Like, when Barry is, a, you know, in his function as a police scientist, and they're doing some forensics, and they're testing a bullet, and they fire a gun, and the bullet goes flying across the room, and they're testing to see if the uh, the markings from the gun match up. He, he eyeballs the bullet before it even strikes the target and goes, yep, they match. Hmm. And, like, that's a cute scene, but it keeps bothering me because he eyeballs it from across the room. You know, it's like he doesn't have telescopic vision. <laughs> if they'd shown him zip over there and examine the bullet while it's hovering in midair, I would have been okay with it. But they didn't show it, so like that kind of like nitpicked me. I'm like, mm, bugs me.
1: It'll be all right, Jack.
2: It's fine. I know. Well, I'll move on to something that's more comfortable for me, which is the scene of Black Canary and her mother. Uh, Dinah is with her mother in the flower shop, and I just got to say, uh, Black Canary Sr. looks smoking hot. <laughs> I mean, I mean, sure, black canary 's hot, but Black canary senior, the way he drew her, those black pants, oh God, mm, wow, thank you, Mr. Kitson, really well done, and I do really like the, the scene with Black Canary and her mother in the flower shop they 're arguing like a lot to the point where Dinah uh, I guess are they, are they both called Dinah i guess i don 't remember yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, well, I think or maybe one of' them's laurel, oh heck i can 't remember they, i don 't remember what the post crisis names were, their names were slightly different either way. Um, Oh, let's call her Black Canary Jr. Black Canary Jr. loses her temper with her mother, uses her sonic scream, and shatters some flower pots because she's had enough of her mother. And just reading that scene, I mean, I've, I've watched my wife and her mother go at it, and it's like, that scene felt really real, actually. <laughs> I could totally see that scene happening in real life. So I thought that was a great moment. You mentioned the general. You didn't say his name. I it did It's General Eiling. Yes. Yeah. That's a big deal. <laughs> well, I he's the Captain Atom foil for years. He goes right. on to become the Shaggy Man. Right. I, so. Did he? I that yeah. don't think I knew that. Okay. Yeah, he, ends up, um, he ends up taking the Shaggy Man robot, you know because it was a robot, right? Yes. Okay, yeah, you did that whole JLA Satellite blog, in case you're wondering. You can look yes. it up. But. And he shaves the Shaggy Man. It transfers his consciousness into the body. And I think he calls himself the General from that point. But <laughs> he's just basically this huge, bulking, buzz-cut monster with giant, savage teeth. And uh, he was great. He was great in that form. So it was it was a nice evolution for that character. All right. It did. It was nice. So now one thing also worth mentioning for you guys who are going to be following along all, through all 12 issues is by the end of this issue, a careful reader will notice that nearly every single member of the JLA made a new friend or a new acquaintance in this issue. Hmm. Dangling subplots. Hmm. All right. Anything else before we take a break and move on to issue number two? Uh, no, I think we're good. I love this comic. I think it was great. I absolutely love, 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 love this comic. Did I mention I like it?
0: Doom Patrol. 1963. Doom Patrol debut. My greatest adventure, issue 80. 1964. My greatest adventure, renamed Doom Patrol. Issue 85. 1968 Doom Patrol Destroyed Issue 121 1976 The new Doom Patrol Showcase 94 1987 Doom Patrol Volume 2 Kupferberg Lytle 1989 Morrison and Case Issue 19 1993 Pollack Issue 64 2001 Doom Patrol Volume 3 Arcooty Hewitt 2004 Doom Patrol Volume 4 Shush. 2009 Doom Patrol Volume 5 Giffen Clark 2012 2013 2014 2015 2016 Waiting for Doom, the Doom Patrol podcast. Because we're waiting. Available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio and Podbean.com. And when the evening comes, we smile. In
2: 1994, Mark Wade, Brian Augustine, and Barry Kitson began exploring the beginnings of the world's greatest superhero team over an epic 12-issue comic maxi-series.
1: Yes,
2: that team was the Justice League of America, and that comic was JLA Year One. In 2016, eight podcasts will come together to cover this series in a single month. That month is J.L.
0: May just the two of us, working together day, to day together
2: together featuring the fire and water podcast the power of fishnets waiting for doom the lantern cast supermates podcast the idol head of Diablo, comic reflections and views from the long box Each podcast will cover one or two issues of JLA Year One, and then coverage will move from show to show. It all starts in the Fire & Water podcast with issues one and two. J.L. May, an epic month for an epic series. Available where you find all good podcasts.
0: Aquaman and the space capsule. Suffering sharks?
1: What's that light?
0: Perhaps a meteor from another planet.
1: Whatever it is, Aquaman, it's going to crash near here.
2: A U.S. space capsule.
1: But it's sinking instead of floating.
2: Telethought waves will get the porpoises to bring the capsule to our undersea city. Where are we?
1: I don't know, but I don't like the look of these undersea aliens. aliens. Aliens? We live beneath
2: the seas of your own planet Earth.
1: We can prove it. Look. Hostess fruit pies, real fruit filling, apple and cherry, my favorite.
0: And the light, tender crust I like so much. Outer space had a lot of interesting things to see. But only
1: Earth has hostess fruit pies
0: to eat. You get a big delight in every bite of hostess fruit pies.
2: And we're back. So I've got a little crow to eat. Uh, during that promo for what you just heard, JLA, or JL May. I said the year the miniseries came out. Guess what, folks? That was wrong. And I had been called out by a large number of people. Thank <laughs> you so much for that, folks. The truth behind that was that that promo wasn't even my idea. And it, this is me not dodging blame. I'm just explaining. Uh, again, I mentioned that the whole, whole crossover was put together by our buddies over at Waiting for Doom and Dr. Ange. And I mean, they really did a great job coordinating this and scheduling and getting people to do this and that and... I, I was really impressed at how much blackmail he had on all of us. But um, they asked me if I wanted to record the promo. I guess because they figure people can't understand their Australian accents. I'm not really sure. <laughs> so I went ahead and recorded it for him. They gave me a script and I recorded it. When I got the script, there was a small typo in the year. They had uh, had a five-digit year. I'm like, oh, well, I'll just fix this. I took out the number that was repeated. Yeah, turns out I shouldn't have done that. So uh, I got the year wrong. So sorry about that, folks. Anyway, now. By the way, if that promo, if you'd like to hear an Australian version of that promo, specifically me doing an Australian version of that promo in something that I would probably call the most culturally insensitive thing I've ever recorded in my life, check out Waiting for episode number 154, or well, episode 4. I have, to, I have to process that for let's, a minute. It's, I mean, it's, uh, it's culturally offensive. It's bad. <laughs> I picked every Australian stereotype I could think of and did a horrible Australian accent and apparently the guys were laughing so hard they were crying. So, when they Crocodile
1: were, Dundee, so. is that's still a thing?
2: Uh, I mentioned the Dundee cast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so check out Waiting for Doom, episode 54, if you want to hear that uh, uh, alternate uh, variant cover version of that promo. All right, well, let's get into issue number two. This one's mine. Justice League, year one, issue number two, cover dated February 1988. However, if you want a pristine copy of this... You're going to have to use um, the Time Commander? Is that his name? Who's the bad guy? Zotan? Zotar? Justice League villain, time travel guy? The Lord of Time. Sure. You're going to have to use the Lord of Time's time machine to go back to December tenth, 1997 to pick up a pristine copy of this one. It's going to cost you $1.95. Don't spend all your Christmas money on it, but make sure you get a copy. The cover of the issue has the JLA uh, posing for the press, waving to the cameras, and uh, has media blitz written across the cover. Now, it's all five of them going across, and uh, I I like how in the background, Aquaman's sort of like nervously waving, which I think is (laughs) hysterical. Do you see that? His little hands up, he's like, and Black Canary's dead center in the middle, course. on one arm, she's got Flash, on the other arm, she's got Green Lantern, and then Marshmander's kind of off to the side. Both Flash and Green Lantern are waving. Green, uh, Black Canary's got her arms around the guys, and now if you look closely, both Barry and Hal have their arms around her. Barry's hands are clearly on her side. Where exactly is Barry's hand? You meant Hal's hand. are clearly Hal's on her Hal's hand. hand. Surprisingly, you can see Hal's hand right. on her side. Where exactly is Barry's hand? <laughs> He's vibrating into another dimension. He might be vibrating something. Oh, um, oh, you walked right into that, man. Now, I have to say, Black Canary is smoking hot on the cover. However, well, she's smoking hot for comics, but her anatomy's pretty unrealistic on this cover. Even I recognize that. I don't I don't want yes, to. Yes,
1: I don't exactly know where her rib cage is here. Yes,
2: I, I don't want to recognize that because it's so hot, but yeah, I, I, even I can't miss that. So. All right. Uh, I'm going to do a synopsis here that I entirely wrote myself with absolutely no one's assistance. (laughs) Okay, that's a false-faced lie. Folks, as I mentioned, I've been really sick, Um, and I hate doing recaps anyway. They're like the bane of my existence. So I Googled on the web. I found someone else that had already written a recap of Justice League Year One, issue number two. It's on some website. Um, What is this? Aquaman Shrine? (laughs) I don't know. I think this guy lives in his parents' basement. He did a recap, so... (laughs) Uh, Truth be told, about 70% of what you hear uh, in just a moment is is going to be the words of Rob Kelly coming out of my mouth, which is sort of creepy, but... I did make some alterations. So, the issue is entitled Group Dynamic. Now, the same creative team as last issue. Our story picks up in the headquarters of the immortal Vandal Savage, who is none too pleased about this new wave of superheroes that seems to be rising. The new team of heroes calling themselves Justice League is of particular interest, so he has uh, put a plan in motion to bring them down. Meanwhile, our heroes are learning about one another, with one of them trying to learn the lingo. Aquaman is sitting on a pier reading a child's picture book. He's trying to learn English. Martian Manhunter arrives, they had agreed to meet early, and uh, he indicates that he can sense Aquaman's frustration with the meeting place that they've selected, which is so far inland. Martian Manhunter then picks up Aquaman, uh, and then, uh, well, he offers to, and flies Aquaman to the press conference location. And there's some funny bits where Martian Manhunter's flying Aquaman through the air, and Aquaman's extremely uncomfortable about being so high off the ground. In fact, when he lands, he says he never thought he'd be thankful for dry land. The press conference location is apparently uh, the meeting site of the fabled Justice Society of America, which there's some kind of going back and forth about it, because throughout this whole series, Black Canary keeps talking about the Justice Society. She's like one of those people that you meet that always goes, oh, this guy that used to work here, he did everything so much better than you, that she's kind of like that. So the press conference is off to a bumpy start, and uh, Aquaman keeps mumbling, because as we said, sound travels better underwater. Flash makes some bad jokes. Martian Manhunter says nothing, but luckily Green Lantern and Black Canary, when they're not flirting with each other, other, are able to pick up the slack. They are complete glory hounds. They're very good at this sort of PR stuff. I mean, I can just see Nathan Fillion as Green Lantern in this story. I mean, it's perfect. Anyway, uh, and they coined the name Justice League of America right there on the spot. But the whole thing takes a turn for the worse when some reporters start throwing accusations around. And then they're interrupted by Vandal Savage's group of bad guys. These bad guys burst in and include Solomon Grunde, Eclipso, Clayface, and the original Thorn. The Justice League engages the group, and the two groups fight in full view of the reporters and the cameras. Initially, each hero takes on a villain by themselves, not working as a unit. But when the baddies start turning on themselves... Who would have guessed putting Solomon Grundy on the team was a bad idea? Uh, This newly christened JLA realized that they need to work together and re-engage. So the Flash and Green Lantern team up to take down Eclipso. Aquaman and Martian Manhunter team up up to take down Clayface. Flash takes care of Thorn on his own. And the Green Lantern saves the day when Solomon Grundy brings down the entire building. Now in hindsight, as I was taking my notes today, I realized that they didn't give Black Canary anything to do in that battle. Uh, At least the part where they came together as a team. She didn't do anything. So I don't know whether that was a conscious decision or what. But uh, she did. There was a funny bit after the fight, though, where she demonstrates just how impractical Flash's costume can be by grabbing him by the ears and just twisting the cowl so he can't see. It's <laughs> hysterical. Because, and that was after he had commented about how impractical it was of her to wear high heels in combat. So the whole world got to view the Justice League defeat the evildoers, which is leading to cheers in various living rooms all over the planet. Also watching this are two regular citizens, Alan Scott and Ted Grant, who think that these new kids are pretty all right, and they're going to be able to – and these folks can stay retired, and they're going to go tell the other JSA members. Other heroes, like the Challengers of the Unknown and the Blackhawks, saw all, saw all of this as well on TV, and yet, but they're feeling kind of a sense of competition, wondering if maybe if their day is over or the Justice League is going to steal all the limelight. Someone else altogether is not pleased at all by this turn of events, and that's Batman, because the meeting location was in Gotham City. So he is very, very concerned and wants to make sure this Justice League stays out of his Gotham City. As the JLA begin to leave, they're accosted by Jack Ryder, Firebrand TV news reporter who calls the heroes out for their involvement in all this destruction. His questions are interrupted by a well-shot arrow from uh, the fellow hero, Green Arrow, who makes the scene. Moments later, not shockingly, Green Arrow hits on Black Canary, but with no success. At the same time, the Justice League is introduced to Simon Carr. He represents an anonymous and very wealthy man who wishes to aid their cause. He's offering them equipment... Funding, a headquarters, just about everything. The benefactor wishes to remain unnamed, but Simon Carr assures him that he is also a crusader himself, and Simon would operate as their liaison. The benefactor has even taken the liberty of contacting an inventor on their behalf. And this sort of gives us our cliffhanger, I suppose. He hands them the business card of an inventor that reads Ted Cord. So, to be continued. All right, Rob. Why don't you uh, tell the folks at home what you thought of this issue?
1: Well, that was about three fourths the best synopsis you've ever done. <laughs> uh, no, uh, yeah, no, I like this this issue quite a bit. I like Green Arrow being brought into it. It's, it's, it's how it should be because he's always the first new member. Uh, the final page of them meeting together is great. Where she, where he uh, hits on her, and uh, she thinks <laughs> jerk and he thinks score. I love that bit because it's just I, I would love to have like ten percent of Green Arrow's confidence. You know, (laughs) it would just just be
2: great. His line, right? He shoots the arrow and then later goes, Nice to meet you, pretty bird. Catch the size of that shaft. Yeah, I just,
1: I I love that he's just that confident. I think that's great. (laughs) Uh, I like all the villains. I always, and I mentioned on the shrines, uh, on the review of it here, that I always thought Aquaman and Clayface would have been kind of a cool hero villain duo. Uh, We never got to do that because most Batman villains don't transpose, they stay in Gotham City. But there's just something about Clayface with his sort of, you know, kind of watery powers I think might have been kind of a, a cool guy for Aquaman to fight so we get to see a little bit of that here which I like um, so yeah it's a, it's a lot of fun
2: I enjoy it quite a bit um, Lots. I have lots of well I have some notes here I mean um, I love all the cameos in this issue we get cameos from Metamorpho Ray Palmer the Atom he fits in everybody in these 12 issues Like oh, yeah. literally everybody Challenges the Unknown the Blackhawks Alan Scott I mentioned Green Lantern Ted Kord Wildcat which by the way you need to edit your recap you wrote Jay Garrick um the Sea Devils are mentioned. Obviously, Ted Cord gets mentioned, which is Blue Beetle. I love that. And then um, I, also during after the battle, there's a great moment that's really full of sort of like I don't know self awareness where they're talking about they're nervous after the fight because they realize you know historically they go stop like bank robbers they go stop villains this time they themselves were specifically targeted they realize that. They have gotten the attention of the bad guys now, and rather than them going out and proactively stopping crime, crime is coming after them. Which is funny because you know Green Lantern's responses means we're doing something right, which is you know very cocky. Hal, I love his co- I love his confidence as well. And Rob's quiet now because he's going back to the shrine and checking to see if he actually needs to edit that entry. Aren't you, Rob?
1: <laughs> I don't think I
2: made that mistake that you're talking about.
1: Oh, snap! Look it <laughs> up,
2: buddy. Anyway, um, I do like, there's a great line in here where Vandal Savage in the beginning, when he's complaining about uh, this team, he mentions he shut down the JSA with a few well-placed senators.
1: Ah! Oh. Wow. It's
2: all of tapestry. I mean, and that's actually a really beautiful sort of thing, because Vandal Savage was a JSA villain first. So, having him manipulate the whole, uh was it, Un-American Committee, whatever, House House Committee.
1: Un-American Activities Committee.
2: Thank you. I can never remember that. Um, having him manipulate that to, to make the JSA stand down, like, wow, that's really clever. I like, that's a great retcon. So... And then uh, The Mysterious Benefactor, I don't think we'll say anything about that. We'll leave that for the folks covering later issues in the podcast. But uh, that, that's a fun, you know, fun little bit. And uh, the, the Jack Ryder scene is great because they don't come right out and say he's the Creeper. I should have mentioned he's another cameo, I guess, technically. You know, they don't come right out and say he's the Creeper, but it's nice to have that in there. So I, I think it's a fun issue. I like the way they, they kind of stumble around the name Justice League of America. You know, they, 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 someone asks them are they you know, during the press conference, are you announcing yourselves as the new Justice Society of America? And they're like, "Well, I like the word justice." And then Hal's like, "League sounds pretty awesome." And then a canary, of course, jumps in there. And is like of America because she still is continuing to talk about the JSA all the time. And that's that's a nice way. I like that better than the way they did at the end of Secret Origins, where they just announced they were the Justice League. Mm-hmm. So
1: yeah, it's a it's it's there's a lot of really good jokes in this. I mean, for I mean, Wade knows how to tell superhero stories, but it, it's very lighthearted, which I enjoy. I mean, we all know that. I don't think either one of us really likes the dark, dark, heavy stuff. And this is very upbeat and, and you know, it should be. It's the formation of the Justice
2: League. It's not, it's not supposed to be so super, super heavy. Yep. And the fight's a lot of fun. Seeing Eclipso in a, as a small-scale bad guy is kind of weird. I, I got so used to him being the god of vengeance, you know, in the later years. Which is funny because I've always known him to be just such a mort. And yet, <laughs> you know, over the years they've turned him
1: into this massive ass-kicking villain. But it's like he was always, you know... He just—he looked like a little elf with his little head, little uh, pointy headgear, and it was just grabbed the gem from him, for Pete's sakes. So, there, there's a Justice League where Aquaman defeats Eclipso by sending a flying fish to knock the gem out of Eclipso's hand. So, you know, it wasn't exactly...
0: It's hysterical.
1: Eclipso wasn't exactly Darkseid or anything like
2: that. <laughs> you know, they made a DC Direct figure of the original Eclipso look, and it was a peg warmer. And I... I, I as much as I like Eclipso, and I've, I've actually held the Eclipso showcase in my hands a couple times and almost bought it just to read those original stories of Bruce Gordon. Like, even I couldn't bring myself to buy that figure. I'm like, I, I, I can't do it. He looks so ridiculous. <laughs> it just looks ridiculous. Now, if they made one of, like, the Bart Sears version of, you uh, know, your former instructor, Bart Sears, yes. uh, version of uh, Eclipso, that would be awesome. But uh, I don't I don't know that they've made one of those.
1: <laughs> I'll see you all at Ren Fair. <laughs>
2: That's perfect. So. Well, I mean that covers the two issues. There's uh, guys it's it's just a great comic. It's just a lot of fun to read. You know, I, other than, you know, re-ca- rehashing this panel by panel, there's not a lot more for us to say at this point, I think, right? Yeah, I think we pretty much covered it. The, the we you know, we got to leave some things left to say for the rest of the guys. Exactly. So, guys, go out and pick this up. Again, find the back issues, Order the trade paperback, a used one on Amazon, or go out and get the digital versions on Comixology right now. You won't regret it. You will love this. This will be a comic you will come back to and reread, as I have done uh, a few times. So, a lot of fun. And remember, uh, podcast coverage goes from here, over to our buddy Ryan Daly, over at Power of Fishnets. Then after that, it goes to Waiting for Doom, then to the Lantern Cast, then to Supermates, then to the idle head of Diablo. And, uh, oh, stop. <laughs> then, to, then to Comic Reflections. <laughs> then to Views from the Lawn Box to finish it out. And all of them will be done by the end of May. It is JL May.
1: Now, I'm a little confused because going by the normal rate at which Mike Bailey posts his shows, doesn't that mean he recorded his segment two years ago?
2: Wow, that was totally (laughs) cold blooded. It was totally cold. Now, probably completely merited. Totally cold blooded. He can turn one around quickly when he wants. Okay. Wow. (laughs) You know he's going to hear all this,
1: right? I'm just pooping on everybody here. I I know. know You want to take a shot at
2: the Supermates? You got something to say about Chris? No, I love
1: Chris and Cindy would hit me if I said anything. So I'm not going to. You know,
2: I met them in person. I know. I tried to get Cindy to hit me, and she didn't. I was trying desperately saying all kinds of terrible things in front of their children and didn't I, get hit. It she's was,
1: used to being around children who were probably baiting her, so... Um, uh,
2: you know, oh, you know, clever. No, her children are, are very well-behaved. Astonishingly well-behaved. Couldn't get it from Chris. Must get it from her. Yeah, so. I'm sure. Anyway, folks... Thank you for listening. This has been the Fire and Water Podcast. Um, Rob, why don't you tell the folks at home where they can uh, find these, a few images from these comics and how they can get in touch with us.
1: Over on our network site, which is, of course, fireandwaterpodcast.com, and there you can find the Supermates Podcast and the Power of Fishnets, which, of course, was just Chris Shag just mentioned. You can use the contact page, or you can just email us at firewaterpodcast at comcast.net, or you can find us over on Facebook. Which you have a Fire and Water podcast uh, page there, and on Twitter, which uh, is at FWPodcasts.
2: That's right. Now, um, I would also say when you find us on Fire go to the shows where it says uh, Aquaman and Firestorm Show, go to that one, and leave a comment on that post. That's where most of the comments ultimately end up, is on, the, on those posts. And you get lots of interaction, you'll have know, people arguing back and forth, and they'll tell us how we're wrong on how Eclipso is much better than Renfair material or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> or people will berate me for getting the year wrong in the promo. So then, um, I guess you know you can also find my friend Rob over at AquamanShrine.net. He's also on Twitter and Facebook under Aquaman Shrine. You can also find him on Twitter as Film and Water Pod or Pod Dylan because he apparently doesn't have enough Twitter accounts. <laughs> <laughs> trying to get to, find... to that Kyle Benning thing. You're you're at the Kyle Betting uh, Twitter network level, I think. <laughs> you are. I think I think you've surpassed him if you count your newspaper comics and Ace Kilroy and uh, uh, all that stuff. That's uh,
1: uh, way way too many Twitter.
2: Handles. Yeah, you're you're way past the the Benning and Sutherland podcast uh, Twitter networks. I'm impressed. <laughs> well done, sir. Then you can find me at Firestormfan.com. You can also find me on Twitter and Facebook under that same handle. So. I think it's going to do it, folks. Well, enjoy JLA May. Be sure to use the hashtag pound May on the social medias, folks. And uh, until next time, fan the flame, ride the wave. And as Aquaman would say, I'll see you guys later. Buddy. He would also say, Aquaman and Firestorm fighting
0: crime They'll always be there, to get them in a bubble, or even torch their hair. They stand for truth and justice, and see a land in there. Aquaman and Firestorm, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever, Yeah! most people after they sold the company for three billion dollars would just kick back and relax
1: i'm not most people besides after taxes and the lawyers are through with you you're lucky if you see a billion and a half
0: my heart bleeds black canary
1: green arrow i've noticed you around
0: i know you happy punching the bag or you want to go a few rounds with me i am talking about sparring that'd be nice too